0: Hello folks, Matthew here. I wanted to give you a quick update announcement notification thing, for, particularly for our regular listeners. Uh, we are going to be changing the way that we release Pop Culture Deprived for a little while, some time. We're going to be releasing episodes fortnightly. I think everyone's aware that 2020 has been a difficult time, a, a problematic time in some places, and the ability for Mandy and I to get time together to record, to watch a film, record about a film, edit, podcast and then release it to everyone is getting even more limited as time goes on. So certainly through October and November, probably December as well. We're going to go to fortnightly and what we thought we'd do this week is actually re-release our episode 69 about Bill & Ted's Excellent Adventure. Bill & Ted Face the Music has come out in cinemas in the UK and cinemas and streaming in the US so this is a good time to get out an episode about one of my favourite, favourite films. I absolutely love this so I think you'll hear that as you listen. If you want other podcasts in the meantime, there are a few you can check out. We have started up our Worth the Calories podcast, which is about the Great British Bake Off, the Great British Baking Show, which is on on Tuesdays in the UK and Fridays, I believe, on Netflix in the US. Um, And I would imagine other countries have licensing deals. So follow along. That's Catherine and myself. Trying the some of the challenges each week, talking about what we saw on the TV, talking about what we thought of all the bakes and the judging and so on. Um, it, apparently, it's a really good watch-along show uh, to enjoy as part of your Bake Off programming, so check that out. And we've also got a number of episodes going up for Across the Arrowverse. That's, again, Catherine and I talking about the Arrowverse fleet of shows. So Arrow, The Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, and so on. Uh, We are about to hit the end of each of the seasons from last year as we're ramping up to the start of of the new seasons, so follow along there if you like your superhero content as well. So, without further ado, on with this week's episode, and we hope to hear from everyone very soon.
1: Welcome to Pop Culturally Deprived. This is episode number 69, 69 dudes. dudes. And we're going to be talking about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I'm Mandy Kay.
0: And I'm Matthew Vose. Before we get into Bill and Ted, we want to remind everyone that one of our, our other shows, Southern Fried Pop Culture, is back. There is one more episode to go on season one, which I believe is The Blind Side, Mandy.
1: Yes, it is. And I'm so excited.
0: So that's where Mandy and Kelly Jones talk about uh, films that feature Southern culture and how they portray the Southern culture, how it appeals to them as two women from the South, in inverted commas, because no idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but you've had a terrific season of watching some uh, quite a, a variety of films. Uh, and this last one coming up, I think that's a, a fairly heavy one. So that should be a really good, uh, really good episode, I think.
1: Oh, I hope so. It's going to be fantastic. Mm. The whole show's been fantastic. I've had so much fun with it, so.
0: Yes, there's there's some great films in there like uh, Driving Miss Daisy, My Cousin Vinny, Fried Green Tomatoes, so go and check them out. Southern Fried Pop Culture.
1: Yes, do that thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But today we are talking here on Pop Culture Deprived about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, uh, which is one of my favourite comedies, favourite films in general. I will completely admit that Part of my style, part of my attitude, certainly a part of my vernacular growing up comes from this film. Um, so this is this is one- audacious dude. Absolutely. <laughs> I had a friend, Adrian, who uh, was the same age as me when we saw this and, and we both loved it and we wanted to have a band called Gold Medallions because it sounded like Wild Stallions.
1: <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's a seminal classic for uh, certainly teens, people who were born in the 80s growing up around this time. So, Mandy, you're obviously too young for this. That's what that is, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> How come you haven't seen this one?
1: I think the first reason is because it's a movie that was made in the 80s. And as we all know, that is like the black hole of movies in my life. Um, and then oh, I used to have such an aversion to what I perceived as stupid humor. And everything about this movie just screamed stupid humor. And I had absolutely no interest in it whatsoever.
0: Okay. I mean... I don't think you're wrong. (laughs) And is that your expectation for this coming into it now, that it was just going to be a bit stupid?
1: Well, that's slightly tricky because my my perspective on stupid humor has changed. I I tend to enjoy it a lot. I mean, I'm a big fan of Will Ferrell movies now, Mm -hmm. or at least some of them. And that falls firmly into the stupid humor camp, I think. Mm. Um, So when we finally decided to do this, I... I wasn't averse to watching it anymore. Like it was something that I was kind of looking forward to because it is a classic that I've never seen before. Um, I legitimately had no idea what it was about. And somehow I did find out that it was about time travel, but I didn't really know how or why. Um, So I was just kind of expecting stoner surfer boy humor, Mm kind of.
0: Excellent. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And again, you're not wrong. A little bit of background for everyone. Bill & Ted's Excellent Adventure is a 1989 comedy directed by Stephen Herrick, written by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon. It stars Alex Winter, Keanu Reeves and George Carlin. The film was due to be released in 88. However, the distributor went bankrupt with the rights eventually being bought and the film coming out in theatres a year later. Critics were fairly brutal to Bill & Ted on its release a painfully inept comedy, unabashed glorification of dumbness, and if Stephen Herrick has any talent for comedy, it's not visible here. So the film took $40 million in the US, which was a huge success compared to its $10 million budget. It was followed by a sequel two years later, it was followed by an animated series, a short-lived live-action series, a DC Comics tie-in, several video games, and some shows put on at Universal Studios Orlando. A clear cult audience favorite, a third outing, has been touted for many years. So up yours, reviewers, in 1989.
1: <laughs> right? This is kind of like the Lilo and Sitch of 1988.
0: <laughs> yeah, and there were, there were films like this. I saw The Warriors recently that everyone watched and was like, oh, it's terrible. It treats like gang culture really badly. But it's very clear that they're too close to what it was talking about, gang culture, at the time. And couldn't sort of distance themselves and, and watch the film separately. And I wonder if that's the same thing here. People looking for something in this to talk about in a review is, well, it's a bit stupid. But it's a good <laughs> stupid. <laughs> so-
1: it is. And honestly, you know, I really want to talk to that reviewer who said that it was an unabashed glorification of dumbness. Because I'm sorry, Bill and Ted were not dumb.
0: <laughs> well... That's only what the film... I mean, we
1: can chat about that. Yeah, yeah, but that's what
0: I, the film I... wanted to sell. I think the tagline was, history's going to be rewritten by two guys who can't spell. Uh, <laughs> not totally well, with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if anyone hasn't seen it, what's the uh, synopsis of this film, Mandy?
1: Okay, this was probably the most difficult synopsis I've ever tried to come up with because this movie has a lot going on in it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kind of like broke it down to the simplest possible version. Uh two teen boys are given help from the future when they're about to fail world history.
0: Yes, they are definitely teens. These two are not in their 20s. No, 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 no.
1: <laughs> we don't talk about that when we're talking about movies.
0: Um just for like someone like me who's not American, are they seniors? Are they 18 at this point?
1: Um you know, I don't think so because they weren't driving. They had to get okay. uh his mom, in quotes, <laughs> to drive them everywhere. Um so it, it feels like a senior because they are so old, but generally speaking, world history I think is something you take as a sophomore,
0: okay. which would
1: be um fifteen, sixteen. Okay. Thanks. So sophomore is the second year in the four year high school in America. Okay. Just to clarify that.
0: <laughs> cool.
1: So okay. Well, how did you watch this I, I i'm fairly certain we all know how you watch this considering you just told us it's one of your favorite comedies but... um
0: i i don't own this i i used to own it on vhs um and i think i just watched it so much i've never replaced it because i've never needed to um okay. so i bought the blu-ray because i couldn't resist <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was an evening of like Okay, so there's a Blu-ray that's both films together from a few years ago. There's the current 25th anniversary Blu-ray. There's the uh, Blu-ray from a number of years back that doesn't really have much on it. Oh, which one do I get? Oh, look, there's a special edition with a steel book. In the end, I went for the the most recent 25th anniversary one because that was on Amazon Prime, so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right. Um, How were you able to watch it?
1: Uh, this is one that uh, my significant other owns, so cool. I did not have to rent it because it is not available on any of the streaming services here.
0: No, disappointingly, I think Netflix had Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, the sequel, um, which I do own, and we'll Oh, I don't think they later.
1: had that here. Oh. Yeah, no, they didn't. They didn't have that here. There was nothing weird when I looked for it.
0: But. Uh, uh, Part of the thing, as you can probably get from the um, background, these, these two are effectively, this and the sequel, are effectively independent films. They weren't financed and distributed by a studio. It was a production company and a distribution company. And the same thing happened on the second one. The company folded and got bought out by someone else who then released it. So. Oh, no. Mm. Okay. And that's, I, I, I suspect, why there's not really been a third film, because it's not in that studio system of thinking about the franchise or the trilogy. So they'd need to get funding, a a little bit like the Terminator films, which only became studio films for the last 10, 15 years.
1: Okay. Mm. When they went off the rails. Got it.
0: Yeah. T2 is effectively the biggest independent release of all time or something, or or was for a long time. Anyway. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Matthew likes (laughs) to know how things work. we like to talk about movies here, (laughs) so. (laughs) Um, Okay. So there's three main actors in this, Alex Winter, Keanu Reeves, and George Carlin. Uh, Do you have any experience of them? Do you know them from other stuff?
1: Well, the first thing I want to ask, who the F is Alex Winters? Oh, Alex Winters, amazing.
0: He is in another film that is on the list that we do have someone who wants to watch it with us. So I'm sure we'll see that at some point. Um, he, right. he was actually a fairly young actor through his sort of school years. Um, but a couple of years after Bill and his bogus journey, he gave up acting. And he's now a director. He's done a number of music videos, a couple of very big documentaries. Uh, He did one called Downloaded that I've not seen that I really want to see, but you can't find that anywhere. And he did one a couple of years ago called The Deep Web, which is about Silk Road and the Silk Road case of, you know, the FBI bringing it down, uh, which is narrated by his friend Keanu Reeves.
1: Interesting. Mm. Okay. Which is a
0: good film, but, you know, you have to like documentaries to watch it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, you're working on it. Yeah, try. You're you're working on getting me there, so... (laughs) Yeah, I no idea who Alex Winter is. And, and one of my earliest thoughts in my thoughts, Doc, was I wonder why Keanu Reeves got so big, but this other guy didn't. Mm. Um, I still don't know the answer to that, but uh, yeah, no experience with him whatsoever.
0: I think he just didn't uh, Ke- want it, so.
1: Yeah. Mm. Keanu Reeves. Mm. Um, hopefully everybody knows who Keanu Reeves is. Although there is a lot that he's done that I haven't seen yet. Um, but. He'll always be the guy from Speed. He's Neo from The Matrix. The Lake House is one of my favorite, like, romance movies. As is A Walk in the Clouds. Um, he was in that really weird Jack Nicholson movie, Something's Got to Give, because <laughs> Jack Nicholson should not do romantic comedy. It's just wrong.
0: Aww. Um,
1: I know. He also, I think he plays. Is it John Wick? John Wick. I have not seen those mm. but um I feel like I need to.
0: First one is exceptional. First one is very very good. Okay. Mm.
1: Um and then George Carlin, I I know him first and foremost as a very irreverent comedian. Um I I see I I've seen a lot of clips of his comedy, of his stand-up comedy and I it's been turned into a lot of memes and things like that. So th- that's really what I know him from, but I do remember he played the cardinal in Dogma. Yep and that's about it
0: uh a- acting wise george carlin has two uh very famous things in kind of later years uh he was fillmore in the car's films car's film the first one and he was the voice the narrator for thomas the tank engine for a few years okay yeah, Tom- yeah so thomas big. and friends in in the u.s um so big yeah. i know him particularly he did a Uh, a a long-running kind of sketch rant monologue thing called uh, Seven Words You Can Never Say on Television. Yes. I can remember seeing that once, and that that has sort of stayed with me as a... I I suspect I've probably seen whatever is the best version of that where he goes into detail, but about why different words are considered rude or can't Mm -hmm. be rude and the way we censor and so on. Right. Mm. That's worth checking out if anyone hasn't seen it and isn't too easily offended. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and yeah, Keanu Reeves is just nonstop. He's just forever releasing stuff, isn't he?
1: He really is. Um, I, I thought I had seen more of his stuff than I have because his filmography is just so massive. Mm. So I think I need to get on that. Because, hmm. I mean, he really is a good actor. I know that a lot of people like joke about him and make fun of him and, and stuff like that. But I really do think he's a good actor. And, yeah. He tends t- to put out quality stuff, even Bill and Ted.
0: Yeah. You, you'll think back to the discussions they had about acting on For the Love of Spock. He is very much someone who acts internally. Yes. This role, notwithstanding. <laughs> Ted is, <laughs> and it's quite funny, Ted is very different from most other things he's done. He's very rarely touched into comedy, occasionally a, a sort of rom-com, but generally he's gone for science fictional action.
1: Yeah, and he mm. d- he does action really really well.
0: Yeah, I mean the the stuff he does for the Matrix and and when you watch all the like behind the scenes training videos, it's amazing what he went through for that, and and you can see why he's kept it up to be able to do like John Wick and stuff. Uh, you mentioned that you were expecting a kind of surfer stoner type film, and I think this very much is possibly an early example of that kind of film: surfer stoner slacker type of comedy. So there's there's there have been many many examples: Wayne's World, Airheads, Back to the Future uh recently Harold and Kumar there was Ashton Kutcher's Dude Where's My Car have you seen any of these
1: um Back to the Future okay (laughs) I haven't seen any of the other ones but again it's because they do fall into that genre that I like actively chose not to watch because I thought I would hate it right and and at that point I would have now my tastes have changed enough that I probably would at least enjoy some of it like Wayne's World is on the list Mm -hmm. and I'm looking forward to it when we get there Mm. So it's just it's just interesting how our tastes change. Yeah, as we grow as people.
0: I love them. Dumb dumb <laughs> comedy is awesome. Um, right, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Have you enjoyed watching it?
1: I did. I Great. did not think I would like it as much as I did, but I could not stop grinning watching this movie. I mean, it was dumb, it, and, mm. and and there were a lot of really stupid bits in it, but it was it was fun and it was nice. And I just, I really wanted these two to succeed. <laughs> so it was, it was good.
0: Yeah. I, I think it is all on the two of them that makes the film work. I mean, it it's exceptionally well written and, and particularly mm-hmm. that dialogue and the comedy that, that they, t- the two of them deliver, but they are almost effortlessly charming all the way through that you can forgive a lot and you do end up properly rooting for them despite mm-hmm. half of it not necessarily making sense a lot of ridiculousness going on a lot of very very top level humor and and uh, sort of character development it doesn't get into any depth but it's so well written and then so well performed it's terrific mm-hmm.
1: yeah you just can't look too deep mm. that that's really what carries this movie is because if you if you pull on any string the whole thing's going to fall apart but just enjoying it for what it is is fun. Yeah.
0: There was a comment in one of the trivia things that the the original writing of the two guys was they were going to be kind of outcast type. Sort of I think it was described as bell bottoms and heavy metal t-shirts, which makes me think of like Beavers and Butthead. And I can see yeah. writing that thing, the the juxtaposition of, okay, they're outcasts and no one likes them now, but in the future they will be amazing and everyone will back them and they'll you know, recreate humanity. But apparently when they cast Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, they're like, okay, these guys are not outcasts. <laughs> right. <laughs> they right. are both very pretty and very charming, so perhaps we should rewrite the characters. And and it does work, because they are stupid. They are I suspect if I'd been in their history class I would have gotten annoyed. Like, stop <laughs> wasting time on these two. They clearly don't give a damn. Right. But they are still funny with it. You don't mind them being a distraction and being stupid. So uh, there's not much story here. You're right. There's a lot that goes on, but the story's pretty thin, (laughs) and and there's a lot not to pay attention to. So, as you went through, was there something that happened or a moment or a scene that you sort of thought, right? I'm actually into this now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is good. I'm. I'm, All my doubts are cast aside.
1: Hang on. Let me go back to my notes and kind of see where things Mm. changed for me. (laughs) Honestly, I think it's when George Carlin showed up with the phone booth. Mm. Partly just because that's clearly, clearly paying tribute to Doctor Who. <laughs> I mean, it's a, well, it's
0: a <laughs> I, again, that's a thing that um, it was supposed to have been a van, like a time traveling. Okay. I, I think it said Chevrolet van or something, but who knows. But because Back to the Future been Popular, they realized it couldn't be an automobile. And oh. Doctor Who was not. Really known in the US at that time, like and it, that is true. it was just wrapping up over here as well.
1: Okay, well maybe I'm seeing connections where they don't exist. Yeah,
0: it really does feel like it's there, and perhaps they saw that and went, "Oh, that that is a good idea." But yeah, I don't think they meant it as an homage in that way. Okay, all right. But yeah, it is it is a, a very useful thing because it sort of fits that that the space of time traveling, so it's not an awkward machine to stand out anywhere, or, except for all the places they go. Um, mm-hmm. But then you have a function to type in your date or type in whatever you want to go to. Yeah, mm.
1: yeah, okay. But yeah, I, I do think. I mean, it's not just because I saw a Doctor Who connection there. I liked um, because at, at, when we are introduced to George Carlin and and the phone booth and the I don't know the tribunal or whoever they are, <laughs> and they're telling us that the fate of civilization rests on these two boys. Like, I'm immediately going, "How is this a thing like?" <laughs> What is going to happen? Like, why are they important? And that's when I I want to know more. Hmm. And that's kind of when I really started paying attention and trying to figure it out. Um, And then it was not long after that that Bill pulled out the word egregious.
2: You're destined to flunk most egregiously tomorrow. <laughs>
1: and I was like, oh, wait a minute. There is something happening here. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't have somebody be portrayed to be this stupid but he still knows what the word egregious means and uses it correctly Mm. you know and so that made me pay attention um and they never explain it of course like he just does that the whole way through yeah just comes out with these words that he uses absolutely correctly Mm. that no 16 year old teenage boy particularly (laughs) in the 80s would know but it worked for me
0: not two guys who as cool as these two guys exactly (laughs) um this is the conversation we started earlier they are dumb because they don't give a damn about the the sort of book knowledge but they are also quite sharp and bill particularly i think is really quite sharp they they have the kind of tropey thing of one of them is more intelligent but one of them has a more kind of social intelligence because ted sort of points out what's going on and gets on better with people um right but yeah, Bill particularly does have a little bit more nails about. Oh, perhaps if we do this, that gets us to do this, and he's sort of problem solving as he goes through. But the flunking world history because they don't care. <laughs> so I get it.
1: Right. It's not that they're flunking because they're too stupid. Mm. It's just they're they they just want to pretend to play the guitar <laughs> all the time.
0: <laughs> so you said about uh, you you quite like the idea that. It was these two dumb guys who were going to save humanity and create a a blissful future. Mm -hmm. Are you bothered at all that we didn't really see that come together? We just saw them passing a history test?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, it it kind of would have been nice to see it. But honestly, it makes so little sense that I don't think they could. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is the string that there was no way to unravel it at all, right and and so they just kind of had to leave it the way it was and I was okay with that because it was it was nice, it had a nice, happy ending, and you know everything worked out the way it was supposed to, so we could be confident that the future is saved, but that's really all we need to know
0: mm. and and I quite like that it is just they need to pass a history test. And they pile on the peril with the, the going to military school thing and breaking up the band at that point. But it is such a small thing they have to get over. It's not the, the world is going to end unless you do this really important thing that you have to go and do. Right. I I appreciate well, a film doing that.
1: Yeah. Once I understood what was happening, like – it, I think it was almost the end before I really kind of was able to circle back around and understand that the reason – like it, it wasn't that they were failing history that was the problem. It was if they failed history, Ted was getting shipped off to military school and they would be separated mm. and they would never form the band that later formed the basis of civilization 700 years down the road. Yeah, awesome. And, and so <laughs> I, that that was a nice subtle touch mm-hmm. because like you said, it's not – oh, my God, if they fail history, like, a volcano is going to explode or something. Mm. You know, it was just a domino effect. And so they went back to the first domino to make sure that what was supposed to happen happened.
0: Yeah. It is, in terms of time travel, it does feel like Doctor Who. And I've only just sort of put that connection together because I hadn't really watched Doctor Who until now. Um, right. <laughs> but the the thing that he did of... It's not that we need to get this giant weapon or something to stop this giant monster. We need to give this small child some courage so they can go and tell a story that stops the monster. It's, yes. it's many steps before that actually the, the small impact has a large impact later down the road.
1: But, okay, let's let's take this moment to talk about time travel mechanics in this movie, though. because Yeah. <laughs> it, God, it doesn't make sense because you're... You're right. In this one instance, they're going back in time to change one thing or to prevent something from happening so that the future stays intact. Mm-hmm. Yet this whole movie is about Bill and Ted wreaking havoc in the past with no consequence. Mm-hmm. Like he brings seven people out of the past into the future. And this doesn't change anything. Like, they don't all go back to their times and start regaling people with, like, tales of the future. Like, that would change society from the beginning. (sighs) Like, there were no consequences. And that bothered me just a little
0: bit. (laughs) See, this is a, a nice take on time travel. And I suspect because this is probably one of the first proper time travel things I ever saw. This is why this is the sort of thinking that got me to the time travel discussions we had on Doctor Who. Um, mm-hmm. The way Bill Ted treats it is that time is immutable. What has happened now, in the past, in the future, what is happening now has always happened, is always going to have happened and always will happen. So it's Rufus who has to go back in time and give them the phone box because they know that's the day when they come forward in the future in the phone box and see them. And it's Rufus who gives it to them So it doesn't matter who they speak to, what they learn, what other people learn, because it's not going to change history. History has always happened, and the future history for the future dudes has always happened. So they're not going to change it, except that they know this is one time they do intervene. So they have to intervene.
1: Okay, but what sense does it make that Abraham Lincoln would never speak about this day that he went to the future? Like, if that had happened, it would be known or at least people would say hey he went crazy and said all of these things
0: <laughs> unless he didn't unless they told him not to unless your memory doesn't remember time travel so it switches back
1: uh, okay and so <laughs> so you're saying i just need to whistle past it and just let it go yeah like
0: okay. uh, uh, and the the film very much obeys its own internal logic the whole thing of the mm-hmm. the time continuing onwards so he has to wind his watch so they know what to dial to get back to their own time. It's like you are continually getting older. So you couldn't keep visiting the same day. Or you couldn't take years to go and study history and then come back and do this thing. Right. Because you have to return to the time that is your fixed point. They don't explain why. And, and I, I think, again, this is a similar sort of thing to Doctor Who. Six weeks go past and he takes Rose back and it is now six weeks later. He doesn't return her to some random other time. Or, or very rarely does he do and leave that person there. Mm -hmm. um so for whatever reason that's what they have to do okay and then and then it's the fact that rufus i don't think gives his name to them he doesn't say hey dudes i'm rufus i'm here to help it's bill and ted in that first meeting when they come back and they're outside the circle k that say rufus
1: listen to this dude rufus he knows what he's talking about right
0: and that's where they get the name rufus from
1: Are you sure he didn't introduce himself as Rufus?
0: I don't think so. I think he might have introduced himself to the audience.
1: Oh, that's right. Okay, maybe.
0: But the first time they learn the name Rufus is when they tell themselves that he's called Rufus. And if they don't tell them that, they don't know he's called Rufus. So it's like they have to have done that thing and gone to that wrong time to have that conversation with him to then get to the right time but also to tell themselves what the name is so that they can tell themselves what the name is.
1: <laughs> right. Well, you know what? And that actually makes the, the watch winding thing a little more clear too because mm. like he doesn't wind his watch and so he has to remind himself to wind his watch even though we already know it doesn't work because he already reminded himself.
0: Yeah, because, um, because time can't change. He will never wind that right. watch. Even if he wrote himself a note, right. wrote it on his hand. Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. That... Uh, I I will accept that. Okay.
0: And I quite like that, the, the, the idea that don't worry about it. Like so many time travel films, time travel is both the crux of the story. You know, it is called the time machine or the time traveler or something like that. And it's also the thing that creates the crisis in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. In this, although it's a kind of plot point mechanic, time travel itself doesn't matter. Don't think about it. We're just going to have fun with it. <laughs> And that's good. It's nice. It's a little yeah. different.
1: It was. It, it was a little different. It was... And it was fun to watch. Um, I, I was wondering, though, how many people they were going to be able to fit in that tiny little boat <laughs> yeah, because right. that was the most unbelievable part of the movie for me. <laughs> um, yeah. I was like, how... Like, they can't fit more people in there. And then they got, like, four more people in there. <laughs> mm.
0: And I do... I, I love the bit when it's on its side, and they're basically all standing up outside it.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> I was, You know, I was glad they did that, though, because that was literally the only way they were all going to fit. Yeah,
0: yeah, it would have been a stretch too far to have said it's bigger on the inside. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, it was definitely
1: not bigger yeah. on the inside. We are
0: not allowed to do that one here, chavs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but talking on the time travel, uh, the keys, the fact that early on in the film, the introduction of Ted's dad is, my keys have gone missing, have you taken them? He's like, no, no, I haven't. And then it becomes so much later on, they're like...
2: Can we get your dad's keys? We could steal them, but he lost them two days ago. If only we could go back in time to when he had them and steal them then. Well, why can't we? Because we don't got time. We could do it after the report. Ted, good thinking, dude. After the report, we'll time travel back to two days ago, steal your dad's keys and leave them here. Where? i don't know how about behind that sign that way when we get here now they'll be waiting for us see whoa yeah so after the report we can't forget to do this otherwise it won't happen but it did happen hey it was me who stole my dad's keys exactly ted
0: Yeah, we we've talked many times about Chekhov's gun, and if you set set up something, it has to happen in the end act three. And this is one of the greatest Chekhov's guns of all time. It's just it's mm-hmm. so good because it's such a subtle thing mm-hmm. that really pays off. And then they they build on on it with like, okay, get a tape recorder. What am I going to say? And then they hear themselves saying it, so that's how they know what to say in the future. And right, yeah.
1: right, <laughs> yeah. Well, so and even the. Like the whole premise of this movie is that they're failing their te- they're they're failing history, they're failing world history. And if they don't get an A plus on the presentation that's due tomorrow, they're gonna flunk. I just wanna know what kind of bullshit is it where the teacher gives them one day's notice that they're gonna fail and that this presentation that's due tomorrow, that I'm sure they've known about for weeks, mm. has to be passed. If that actually happened that way, that is one of the worst teachers ever <laughs> who's not telling his students That this is the hard set deadline, that you have to do this. And he waited until the day before.
0: And uh, See, I would assume he has said it at some point in the past, but they don't need to make that point multiple times for us. We just need it as an exposition point at the beginning of the film. But it's never really sort of solidified for them, or they always thought there was going to be another way out. And as it turns out, they were Mm -hmm. right.
1: (laughs) Right. It just... It frustrated me because okay. I I kind of looked at it as this is a bullshit teacher.
0: Do you need a line of guys? I've told you this several times. Don't forget. If you flunk this, just change a line yes. slightly and it helps.
1: Yes. Okay. If they had done that, it would have been fine. But the way he presented it and the way they reacted to it seemed like it was the first time. Okay. Because they were shocked. I mean, they under. I mean, I know they know that they're not doing well. Mm. But this felt like this was the first time they had ever been told they have to get an A-plus tomorrow to pass yeah. the class. And considering that's also the first time Ted's dad found out about it, mm. it, it just, I don't know, it was weird. I mean, I understand it's a plot device. Yeah. I just didn't like we,
0: it. We need to get a jingle, don't we? Like, a, Matthew and Mandy fix this movie problem. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Because I do like, I like this, it. finding these, like, okay, that, yeah, that's that's maybe, and how do we fix it? A small tweak here. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah just a tiny line yeah. there would have gone a long way into, like, giving me goodwill yeah. towards the authority figures in but, this movie. But new
0: headcanon, he has told them in the past, he just didn't reinforce that message to us. Yes, okay. I'll take it.
1: The other thing that really kind of came up while I was watching this... Was it it reminded me of when I was a kid watching movies and TVs, movies and TVs, watching movies and, and TV that kind of came out in the 80s and 90s? That this whole idea of sending a child, particularly a boy who is problematic or has behavioral issues, sending him away to military school. I kind of forgot that was a thing that used to happen all the time until I saw it happen in this movie. And so then it just made me start thinking, why was this a trope that was so prevalent in the 80s and 90s? Because I can remember it on Saved by the Bell. um, The Cosby Show did it. The Facts of Life did it. There was an episode of Daria, King of the Hill, The Simpsons. Like, all of these television shows had military school as such... A scare tactic like this is where you go if if you don't get right, like if you don't change your ways, you have to go to military school. you know, we even saw it in Dead Poet Society when we did that movie last year mm. neil um his dad threatened to send him to military school because he decided to be in the play um and so it just it made me wonder why was this a thing that happened?
0: I' got two thoughts uh one is that it's a generational thing because most of those that you've talked about are uh, when we're looking at the tv i mean film i don't think it's quite as much of a thing um tv it's going to be a thing because you're going to write so many episodes at some point it's going to seem like a really good um plot but i think it's a generational thing with the fathers potentially having served in a war because mm-hmm. they're going to be of a generation that actually went through several wars in different countries. So there is a very high chance of it or it's very likely to have written the character there. Right. So it's it's uh, them using something from their background of this is what gave me structure and discipline and blah, blah, blah. But it's also the t- certainly the TV shows you listed, I think, are generally about kind of uh, normal, in inverted commas, middle class or working class families. And I think military school is a good threat. That's not we're gonna send you away to a boarding school, or your auntie and uncle live in Bel Air. Um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right because these would have been in the 80s and 90s. These would have been children of baby boomers mm. in the U.S., mm. which means they were their parents were in World War II. And so we were accustomed to – like, that's that's the kind of family they were raised in. And I was reading on the TV Trope's website about this particular Mm. kind of military school trope. And they suggested that it was considered justified for problem kids and delinquents whose parents were often too busy to handle raising them in a nuclear family structure with a 9-to-5 job. Mm. And so – they were still clinging to that nuclear family structure, and when children weren't fitting into that mold, they would try to send them away because it matched kind of the ideology they had been given from their parents, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really know because, you know, I never experienced this myself, but that that seems to make sense, but it's it's awful and it just it occurred to me that that was a thing that i had seen a lot when i was growing up um and i had just forgotten until it came up again watching this movie yeah
0: like even if it's not war the second world war it'll be the korean war the vietnam war uh being posted out in iran or iraq
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so it it will be of the experience of the generally the father figure and and then used as a threat i think
1: yeah i I think it's used far less as a threat now than it used to Mm. be um just because our our societal culture has changed and and views I hesitate to say they view that sort of thing as child abuse but it does kind of come across as more negative and more more harshly negative mm-hmm. to a, to a child than than it used to be considered and so i i don't see it on tv as much and in fact a lot of the examples that we see now are you know children wanting to go to military school or, or wanting to be in the army mm-hmm. and so that's what they're working towards i don't know yeah societally i it's think it's different we,
0: we view military service differently than we used to mm-hmm. mm. we were very pleased to get a lot of feedback on this one we did get a lot. Mm. It was great. Um, I actually reached out to my family on this because, like I said, I, could, I can remember us watching it when I was really quite young. Um, because I we'd had a video. We'd had some film from the video store that uh, had a trailer for this. And I can remember watching it thinking, that looks amazing. And then at some point later, I have no idea how, how much further later, my dad rented it. Um. And so I reached out to him with like a, "Hey, can you remind me? You know what happened and what was your reaction to it?" Uh, he said he actually got it from a video store. Video store much further in town because we had one down the road from us. And it, it, one of the reasons it had stuck in my mind as being odd was I can remember many trips to us go and rent a film. We would pick a film off the shelf and we'd rent it. So it was really strange that he got this one in, in um, independently. But it's because he found it somewhere else uh, he liked George Carlin who has obviously gone on to be Thomas the Tank Engine and he can remembers he remembers watching it several times and picking up the language uh, and it having a good soundtrack now my sister um, many many exclamation marks oh Bill and Ted one of my favourite films of all time I remember the first time we watched that so funny great music too the concept was new and exciting you can't believe Keanu Reeves plays Neo 2 I think that the jokes around Napoleon being short and Abraham Lincoln constantly making speeches and the little historical references made it totally watchable. It's a must-watch. Can't wait to watch it with our kids. Wonder if they'll adopt the language too. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs>
1: oh, you're going to do everything you can to make that happen, aren't you? Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and yet, for the, for the two of them who are both, um, I, I want to say, into history, my dad is a historian. <laughs> so... That was something I think that appealed to them as well, seeing it used in a very comedic fashion like this. And they don't, like I said before, they don't go too deep with the history figures. It's all very, the most obvious jokes you can make about them. But it's also done very, very well.
1: They were done very, very well. Mm. Uh, We also had a tweet from our friend and fellow Eloquent Gushing host, Kelly Jones. She said, it's been forever and ever since I've seen this movie, but I love Freud asking what is a geek? Mm-hmm. And most of the jokes with Freud and Socrates, never take Freud to a mall. And then she wants to know, what did y'all think of the choice of historical figures included in this movie? If you could add someone, who would it be and why? And honestly, you know, I've been chewing on this question mm. and I think that they they perfectly picked the ones that needed to be picked. Mm. And I I don't know that there would be anybody else that I would add. You know, maybe Shakespeare, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I think you know the the ones that they picked perfectly complemented the story that they were trying to tell.
0: Yeah, I I wonder if there was a temptation to do something like they took Amelia Earhart and that's why she disappeared. <laughs> or so, someone of that ilk oh. that we don't know what happened to them. <laughs> right. Okay. On the um the Freud jokes, it was only on this watching that I got one of his gags, one of his lines, where they're talking to the girls in the mall, and he says, you All seem to be suffering from a mild form of hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Did not get what that meant all the times I've watched it before. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. <laughs> now
0: having, you know, obviously being a bit older, um, and having seen yeah. the great film Hysteria, that is a solid joke. That is a slipping it past the censors sort of joke.
1: <laughs> yeah. they. I mean, they did some some pretty subtle stuff, like having him standing there holding the corn yeah, dog yeah. <laughs> while he was doing that. Yeah.
0: Mm.
1: It, was, it was pretty great.
0: Our friend Susan at Susie Hula, when we said that we were watching this, she said, I can't wait. Such a silly fun movie, but I love its take on time travel. Plus, I cannot ever see a Circle K without thinking of the line,
2: Strange things are afoot at the Circle
0: K. <laughs> and I love that line. I, I meant to say this earlier. I've actually been to San Dimas. <laughs> I have. Oh, of course you I have. I have bought a drink from the San Dimas Circle K um, and taken a photo of the the store and the town entrance because I was on a road trip across California and we were near it. So why not? <laughs>
1: I am not at all surprised Mm. that that is a thing that you did.
0: Now, it's not that Circle K. That Circle K is in Arizona. (laughs) And I've not been there yet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But when I do.
1: Uh, Brianna at Buffra said, I wonder in this time of reboots if it could be remade with all the guys swapped out for female roles. Who would you pick then?
0: Mm, This is a very, very good question. I'm not sure you could remake it. Because there is a... I don't know if it's a trend or hesitancy or something to do films where the women are not necessarily smart or or portrayed as dumb as these guys are. Mm-hmm. So I think you might have to change it about why they're flunking. Maybe make them kind of interesting party girls or something. Obviously not party girls in like party girls. Because <laughs> <laughs> the only one I can think of that does it in that way is Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Yeah, That was not a successful film. So.
1: Oh, but I liked it. Oh, yeah.
0: The post-it note sequence at the end is incredible.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I think it could be done, but I think it would have to be done creatively. Mm. And honestly, I am not currently familiar enough with the younger generation of actresses to pick somebody who could do it. Because I'm thinking of um, people like Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy.
2: Mm.
1: Like that style of comedy. Or Kate McKenna. You know, like, I'm thinking of Ghostbusters. Like, they had that level of comedy that you would need for this kind of movie, but they would all need to be – to keep it in high school that they're flunking a high school class, it would need to be a different set of people, and I just am not familiar enough with that generation of actresses to know who could pull it off. Yeah, But I think it could be done.
0: Yeah, in terms of, like, age appropriate, the only ones I can think of that I've seen and stuff is Chloe Moretz, uh, last name, I can't remember. Um, who was in uh-huh. Bad Neighbours and uh, I want to say Kick-Ass? Chloe Grace Moretz. The only other one I could think of who is probably a teen now is, uh, is it Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things? Yes. I'm not sure she'd be good for this. And then, like, if we're thinking people are in their 20s, I immediately jump to Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza. But I think because it's so similar to their characters, and Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Yeah, and they're they're huh. probably a little old right now.
1: Yeah, I would honestly say probably like Anna Kendrick could replace George Carlin. Hmm. She may be a little young a little for that. Young,
0: yeah. But... Um, Caitlin on Twitter, because we we retweeted this because this is a great question. She suggested uh, maybe Amanda Sternberg, who played I think is it Rue in Hunger Games. Oh, okay. That would be good. Yeah. Because. I was really annoyed when she left Hunger Games because she's so good she's very mm. good she said to replace whoever is Keanu because she couldn't remember which way around they were which is very fair
1: <laughs> it is fair I keep forgetting myself and I keep telling myself Ket is Ket. Ted is Keanu <laughs> wow nice. I can't even say it um, yeah I, mm. I was struggling with that too <sighs> this question makes me realize I'm just old <laughs> Because I just don't, I just don't know who any of these new actors and actresses are.
0: See, replacing George Carlin, I-, I can only see Whoopi Goldberg doing that. It's exactly the sort of thing she would just be really good at. Okay. That kind of the serene calm she always had as Geydon, but with a yeah, very, very yeah. sharp wit. Yeah.
1: Okay, I-, I could get behind that. I'm gonna be puzzling on this for a little while. I think, like, I, I can see myself now going to Google teenage actresses and actors and seeing who i recognize because i don't know anybody's name anymore (sighs) i'm one of those people who when i they do those buzzfeed articles every time they do like the teen choice awards and they're like do you know who any of these people are and i'm looking down the list and i'm like i've never seen this person in my life (laughs) because i'm old (laughs)
0: So uh, you weren't expecting to enjoy the stupid humor. You enjoyed it a lot. Is there stuff in here that you particularly enjoyed?
1: I think my all-time favorite thing is uh, messing up Socrates' name and calling him Socrates. Yes.
0: Ah, I'm Billy. This here is Socrates. Socrates commit to the bit
1: <laughs> they did but then they got it right at the very very end mm. the most
2: audacious philosophizer in ancient greece socrates, socrates!
1: loved yeah. it loved it um i also i mean everything about socrates was was pretty amazing and when he got so excited that uh Ted had said something about we're all dust in the wind, and he's like, Yes, like sands in the hourglass. These are the days of our lives. And I cracked up so hard I had to pause it for a minute. Mm. Um, mostly just because Days of Our Lives is my soap opera. Okay. I'm gonna watch one. That's gonna be the one that I watch. And so just to see that in there, it it made me laugh. Um and then, you know, Bill just had some amazing one-lighters. You know, he said things like, um, like Susan said, the something strange is the foot at the Circle K line, or you are dealing with the oddity of time travel with the greatest of ease.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then it...
0: No, and and yeah, it's nice to mention Billy the Kid and Socrates, because they form their own nice little duo, like playing the catch and brief. helping them and stuff. And, and obviously, it's the, they're the first two guys they probably go and get. It's just... It's really nice. I love that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then when they're doing the presentation and Freud does a session with Ted and has Ted laying mm. back and then asks if, asks Bill, you know, do you, do you want a session or whatever? And Bill's like, nah, just got a minor edible complex. <laughs> <laughs> I could not stop laughing because they built that up too from the beginning. Mm. Um, you know, cause it, I was really grossed out at first cause I didn't realize that she wasn't as real mom because she kept he kept calling her just mom and like even when he was staring at her and and ted's like dude that's your mom you know i was like oh my god that's so gross but then you realize she's not that much older than they
0: are i think there's there's a line of yeah you remember when i asked her to prom
1: (laughs) yes um and so for them to follow all of that up with this freud joke Mm, it was perfect perfect
0: it's it's Um, probably the the one really problematic bit Because, I mean, there's not enough women to really comment on the way it treats women, except there's not enough women in it. Um, There's the one moment of gay panic, which is very of its (sighs) time. It's very of its time. And, uh, you know, teen guys. (laughs) Um, It is. The the Missy thing is... That's the
1: thing that dated it the most, I think.
0: The the Missy thing is the one bit that's like, we could have just dropped all of that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. I, I... I think this is a movie that I enjoyed so much that I can forgive the problematic bits. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially considering this is a high school comedy from 1988. Mm. Um, so what about you? I know um, you love, love, love this movie. <laughs> yeah, so of, were you every, able to just pull out things? <laughs>
0: um, I mean, like we were saying about, well, well I was just saying because i want to talk about all of it. Um, but the, the, the <laughs> uh, Billy the Kid and Socrates thing, There's so many small elements, and particularly with the historical figures. Uh, Napoleon gets a lot of screen time, which is a bit strange, but there's lots of very nice things about, like my sister said, his height and him being regarded as a child and his love of the water slides. The bit when he's in the car with Missy and you see him sort of sidling over, doesn't pay off. There's nothing there. It's just another little visual gag. Um, Right. And the film is littered with it. I love when... Joan of Arc is in the prison cell, and they're coming in to rescue them. And she's just in the foreground, but she's not the action. And she's praying. They come to rescue them, and she just goes, "Mercy." Look, looking yes. upwards, and then then it carries on, and it's a, a character touch that's so deftly done. Mm-hmm. Um, but it helps make it all feel a bit more real. A bit, you know, Napoleon does have this complex about having the last uh, the last bit of the ice cream or, or getting as much as he can. Great. Right, um, but my absolute favorite thing, that I think makes me chuckle every time it happens, is their use of the word "most." That something is the most something. So that, like, even at the very beginning, it's one of the first things they say. While I agree that in time our band will be the, will be most triumphant, but then all the way through, it just goes on and on and on and on.
2: You are going to have the most excellent adventure, Ted. While I agree that in time, our band will be most triumphant. We are in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow, Ted. You're destined to flunk most egregiously tomorrow. That was most unprecedented, Rufus. Most important. This has been a most unusual day. Ted, I have a most excellent idea. This should be most triumphant. We are in most excellent shape for our report. Most non-triumphant. Will you go to the prom with us in San We will have a most triumphant time. I believe our adventure through time has taken a most serious turn. Most outstanding. I think Abraham Lincoln would be most impressed with the world of San There were many steps and columns. It was most tranquil. The most bodacious philosophizer in ancient Greece. Ah. A most audacious soldier. Four score and seven minutes ago, we, your forefathers, were brought forth upon a most excellent adventure. <laughs> most outstanding, Rufus. <laughs> Bill, my friend. Yes, Ted, my friend. This has been a most
1: excellent adventure. Yes. I cracked after yeah. that. It, it was nice.
0: And I, I, as I say, I think I laugh every time it happens. And their their like outro line is them is Ted saying, this has been a most excellent adventure. Great.
1: <laughs> I, I think laughing every time is a reasonable response. <laughs> I do. So is there anything else that we need to discuss about Bill and Ted's excellent
0: adventure? So there is a direct sequel to this. Um, do you want to watch it? That
1: one's called Bill and Ted's bogus adventure bogus journey bogus journey is it time travel again
0: I, or are you not, I'm gonna, not gonna tell, gonna tell me? you.
1: <laughs> okay um i enjoyed this one enough that i think i would like to watch it yes okay.
0: good it is my answer when people ask me what sequels are better than the original films really but i've not watched it in a long time so i don't know how it holds up
1: <laughs> okay
0: all right but there's a reason i own that one and not this one or used to but okay. now i own this one on blu-ray <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, and I did see that they are still talking about doing a third one. <laughs>
0: they are still talking about doing a third one.
1: Yes, they are still talking about it. Um, I think as recently as, like, last fall, Keanu was confirming what it was going to be about. Something about how they had to write a song that was going to save the world, or and they hadn't written it yet or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah, they th- there was a reunion photo shoot for EW or Variety or some mag like that, um, that had the two of them together and talk about that. There there was a comment about it's been confirmed or is in production. But like there's an interview, in fact, Alex Winter's been on the Nerdist podcast a couple of times um, and both times he's talked about, oh yeah, we've got a script, we've got an idea, it's really good. um, We just need to make it happen. And and part of the problem is because it's an independent thing. Um, He's talked about how the idea is that actually their lives didn't turn out as they were told they were going to. And so what does that mean? And I suspect... What they would take that to as a kind of multiverse thing, so lots of Bill and Ted's or something. Oh, mm.
1: okay. Mm. I'm curious, but I need to see the second one first. Yes. So
0: okay, we will we will put the second one on the list. Yes. Excellent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's most bodacious. <laughs> Okay, well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy K. And I'm
0: at Matthew Vose. We are completely funded by our wonderful patrons on Patreon. Uh, Anything you can give helps to fund the show, helps to support the network, and develop the other shows that we do. If you want to find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And check out our homepage where you can find our other shows, such as Southern Fried Pop Culture. And you can sign up to the weekly newsletter, which has uh, all the news and announcements about the goings-on. The link is on eloquentgushing.com.
1: And we'll be back next week with another episode where we'll talk about The Dark Knight Rises. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay.
0: And that is why we need Eddie Van Halen. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.